okay, sorry about that. I spent too much time out on my walk with Skeeter. Like a fool. Party girl. And then I came back and like hooked up the equipment and I could hear like sports radio coming in through my <laughs> headphones and I was very confused. Yeah. But now I'm here. Hello. Hi. Welcome. Hi, Hava. Hi. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom in the home. Shalom in the home. Michael? Yes. How are you? I, I'm living the dream. Living the dream. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I feel like living the dream is what you say when you're not living the dream. You know, there's two layers of deception happening here. So I actually am living the dream. So I'm saying. Oh, I see. Very clever. Yes. I don't know. What's up? Oh, I got a weird hair cap in the mail. Okay. Here, I'll put it on for you. Looks very luxurious. Yeah, it's made out of silk. Wow. Yeah. It's for my hair. I see that. Yep, I've been trying that out. I look like a babushka when I walk around in it. Great. I love that for you. Grunge Girl hates it. Puppy's doing good. Everything's doing good. Working on exciting Talmud applications, making it all snazzy. Excited mm-hmm. to share that with people at some point. Aww. So. Look at you. You're so integrated into the Talmud ecosystem. I know. I fucking hate it. You love it, bitch. Don't tell anyone that I do, though. (laughs) I hate to break this to you, but I think people know. God damn it. Uh, I I feel very uncomfortable being part of scenes. That is very incongruous with everything I know about you so far. Uh, It it happens to me because I have a tendency to... I just become so beloved in subcultures, I can't help it. It, No, no, it's not about being beloved. It's just being enmeshed in the subculture, okay? Okay, I I do not know if people beloved me in the whatever, quote-unquote, Talmud Well, people definitely beloved you. Well, I haven't got any nudie photos in the mail yet, so... Neither have I, nor do I want any. Listeners, if you would like to send us no. scandalous photos... <laughs> no! Okay, don't send us scandalous photos, but do send us um, little animated cartoons. Yeah, defo. And, and listener questions, which is what we're going to be and doing And listener today. questions, yeah. that's what we really care about. I don't know, listeners, if you've noticed how incredible our content has been lately but it's because you all have been asking really good questions so please keep sending us your questions and if you're thinking to yourself i kind of want to ask a question but everyone else's questions have been so profound and my question is just not that cool you're wrong your question is that cool yes it really is to us we love it we want it any sort of question is fine like um Yeah, any question is fine, you know. Yeah, any what color of sneakers do we think is best? What's the best soup, you know, anything. It's kind of hard to predict what sort of question is going to lead to interesting revelations. Right. And sometimes it's the simple things. Don't deprive the world of the beauty of your question. Yeah, 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 that's a nice way to put it. Hava, how are you? Baruch Hashem, I'm well. It has been a busy week for me, and I have been feeling it. I have been feeling tired AF. Tomorrow, I'm getting my COVID booster shot, and I'm getting my flu shot at the same time, and I'm very scared of how miserable that might make me feel. Are you getting Moderna or or, or Pfizer? Well, it's a booster. It actually doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So which one are you going for, depending on like... Oh, I think Pfizer, because I got Pfizer, and I have no reason to want to do anything else. I'm very unclear about... Yeah, I just tried to spend as little time as possible thinking about it. That's probably for the best, yeah. 
Um, so tomorrow I'm going to go do that, which is exciting, but I'm also really nervous about it. Hanukkah class is going great, learning all kinds of fun Hanukkah facts. I guess we'll probably have to do a Hanukkah episode, some episodes about Hanukkah at some point, but we have a while. Yeah, we have we a do. while until that time. I'm still thinking about what Sam said in that episode about like divisions in Jewish history about how the battle was really between assimilationist Jews and Jews who didn't want to assimilate. Right. It was between Jews and Jews, not between Jews and non-Jews, right, really. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, wild, yeah. wild. Maybe we should just have Sam back. That's like our solution to everything. Bring Sam back. Yeah, when we're tired and we just need someone to just rail about Jews in some way, that's interesting. I'm gonna not banter anymore about how I'm doing because we have a lot of material to talk about today. Okay, okay, let's let's get into it. We have a rich and deep question and of course I want to say thank you in advance, dear listener, for sending this in. It is an awesome question and I'm so excited to answer it. So, our dear noble listener writes, I was just reading the Bartonura commentary on Mishnah 518, talking about all who make the mini blameless, no hate goes on their hand, and all who make the mini hateful, their hand will not be suffice to do tshuva. Bartonura says, in a nutshell, this is so that the bad people go to Gehinom and the good people go to Gan Eden. And I know the Talmud talks a lot about X kind of person will get a place in Olam Haba and Z other kind of person will forfeit their place in Olam Haba. All of this seems awfully Christian to me, which is weird, and I don't know what to think. So my question is basically, what in the Gehinom does any of that mean? What does the Talmud believe about post-death punishment and reward? Wow, okay. So first of all, Great question, and we're going to dig deep into it. I just want to start off by asking you, Michael, as a what I consider to be a classic American Jew in that you were like uh, raised going to synagogue somewhat, mm-hmm. you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then have sort of like drifted away and drifted back at various times. Um, what's your impression of what Judaism has to say about the afterlife and punishment? I've now been become more informed and right. Not really knowing much about that particular sliver of Jewish stuff, I would say that the reason it sounds very Christian is it's actually flipped. It's that the Christian stuff actually sounds really Jewish. Ah, interesting. That's a guess. That's just a, a guess. So we'll start with the Mishnah that our listener was talking about. So this is from Pirkei Avot. 518. Whoever causes the multitudes to be righteous, in other words, whoever causes many people to be righteous people, to do righteous things, sin will not occur on his account, aka sin will will not be on his hand, is the literal phrasing. And whoever causes many people to sin, he will not have the opportunity to repent, or repentance will will not be accessible to him. And then we get two biblical quotes that are sort of our proof texts in the Mishnah. One of them, Moses was righteous and caused the multitudes to be righteous, 
and therefore the multitudes are hung on him. As it is said, he executed the Lord's righteousness and his decisions with Israel, which is from Deuteronomy 33.21. Jeroboam sinned and caused many to sin, therefore the sin of the many is hung on him. As it is said, for the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned, and which he caused Israel to sin thereby, which is from 1 Kings 15.30. The long and short of this Mishnah is, some rabbi is coming along and saying, if you cause other people to be righteous, then that's going to be really good for you. But if you cause other people to be wicked, then essentially you're going to be beyond saving. Which my read on the basics here is that it's sort of like sometimes the Talmud talks about Lashon Hara, wicked speech, as like one of the reasons it's so wicked is because you can't take back words, right? You can't go fix what's happened with words because of how fast they travel and how subtle their impacts can be. And I think it's a very similar thing as like if you are good, you have no idea what the sort of chain of causality of goodness will cause. And if you're bad, you'll have no idea what the chain of causality of badness will cause. So there's no way for you to undo basically all of the wickedness you might cause others to do. Yes, I see. Yes, the chain of causality. But what's the deal with like you can't repent? I guess I have the same question as the listener. In general, I don't think of Jews thinking of a moment post-death where there's a repentance process or are they Mm -hmm. talking about when the messiah comes and the resurrection is great so this is what we're gonna get into and i just want to say the other way i kind of read this mishnah is also just that like leaders are held to a higher standard if you're leading Mm -hmm. people yeah 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 you know you are responsible in a different way so there's a lot to dive into here you know what let's start with josephus Oh, good old Josephus in his history, the antiquities of the Jews writes to us now for the Pharisees, they live frugally and despise delicacies and diet and they follow the contract of reason and what that prescribes to them as good for them to do. They do. And they think they ought to earnestly strive to observe reasons dictates for practice. They also believe that souls have an immortal vigor in them and that under the earth there will be rewards or punishments according as they have lived virtuously or viciously in this life. And the latter are to be detained in an everlasting prison, but the former shall have power to revive and live again. And when was Josephus writing? Was it like 30 CE? Let's check. Josephus lived from 37 to 100. So Josephus is living before Christianity is really... Yeah, he's all up in the Tanaitic period. Okay, this is crazy. So something analogous to heaven exists underground. I like that. There are two things that we sort of have to reckon with here. One of them is the idea of the world to come, aka the general what comes after death. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And one of them is the idea of punishment and what form it takes. I'm going to address those things as best I can. Maimonides gives us this beautiful, elegant chapter where he summarizes a lot of things about what he says the world will come to be like. And so I'm just going to share some of those things. One of the things he says is, do not presume that in the messianic age, any facet of the world's nature will change or there will be innovations in works of creation. Rather, the world will continue according to its pattern. So Maimonides is of the opinion that the afterlife, aka the world to come, which is what we'll be calling it from now on, is 
of the same nature as our physical reality now, which already is sort of a distinct way from how, in my experience, Christians talk about heaven, which is sort of a transcendent plane. Am I thinking correctly that the difference between Christian afterlife and this Jewish world to come is that the Christian afterlife currently exists right now. You're either in it or you're not. And the Jewish world to come, even after you die, doesn't exist yet. It, it will exist for everyone at some point in the future. Definitely what you said about the Jewish part is right on. I believe that's how I understand it, is that the world to come is quite literally to come. What you said about the Christian afterlife as existing now, honestly, I don't know if all Christians are united in that understanding of heaven. Yeah. But it is definitely the understanding of heaven that I was raised with. Okay. Is that it's like dead, straight to heaven, you know, <clears throat> which is very different. Maimonides is a big advocate of the idea of the resurrection of the dead. He takes it as a sort of concrete principle of faith. The way we get resurrection of the dead is a little bit obscure, but it's basically there's a couple future tense verbs in the Torah that basically refer to different patriarchs doing things in the future. So the rabbis came along and said, oh, see, this verse says Jacob will sing. That means even though he's dead, he will sing at some point in the future. And that's how we ended up with this whole resurrection of the dead doctrine. Okay. Other things about the world to come that Maimonides says, he says, Our sages taught there will be no difference between the current age and the Messianic era except the emancipation from our subjugation to the Gentile kingdoms. What Maimonides means here is that the Jews aren't going to rule over everyone. There's not going to be like a massive overturning of halacha. The main thing will be sort of a state of perfect justice will be present in the world to come. This is some of the most succinct descriptions of the world to come that we get. Rambam says, In that era, there will be neither famine or war, envy or competition. For good will flow in abundance and all delights will be freely available as dust. The occupation of the entire world will be solely to know God. Therefore, the Jews will be great sages and know the hidden matters, grasping the knowledge of their creator to the full extent of human potential. And in Brachot 17a, we read, Rav was wont to say, The world to come is not like this world. In the world to come, there is no eating, no drinking, no procreation, no business negotiations, no jealousy, no hatred, and no competition. Rather, the righteous sit with their crowns upon their heads, enjoying the splendor of the divine presence, as it is stated, and they beheld God, and they ate and drank, in Exodus 24.11 meaning that beholding God's countenance is tantamount to eating and drinking. Oh, okay, okay. What we've taken in here from a combination of the Rambam and a little bit of Mishnah is that the world to come is a future era that exists in this universe, not in a transcendent plane beyond nature, in which the dead are literally resurrected and inhabit a world of perfect goodness beyond sort of fleshly desires mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay so that's the world to come okay that's part one of what we have to deal with is what even is this afterlife we're getting or not getting okay okay and part two is what's the deal with this judgment how does this factor in what's the relationship between the judgment and the world to come exactly this next one is a bit gruesome but it is i would say the most explicit thing i was able to find anywhere detailing the kind of punishment we see in Christian hell. So this is from Otsor Midrashim, the Garden of Eden, Gehinnom, the Book of Gehinnom, Chapter 5. And in this collection of Midrash, 
we hear Yehoshua ben Levi gets taken down to Gehinnom by Eliyahu, the prophet, and he says, He showed me humans that were hanging by their noses, and humans that were hanging by their hands, and humans that were hanging by their tongues, and humans that were hanging by their legs. And he showed me humans that were hanging by their eyes, and he showed me humans they were feeding their flesh, and humans whom they were feeding hot coals of broomwood, and humans sitting alive, and worms were eating them. And he said to me, These are the ones about whom it is written, For their worm shall not die. And he showed me humans who they were feeding sand, and they were feeding them against their will, and their teeth were breaking. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu was saying to them, Evil ones, when you ate stolen food, it was sweet in their mouths. Now there isn't within you the strength to eat, to fulfill that which is said, you break the teeth of the wicked, in Psalms 3.8. This goes on for several more paragraphs. It's almost like a proto- Dante's Inferno of various levels of people being punished in different ways. And this is Tanaitic material? I don't know the era of this material, but the character who is being taken down to hell is an Amora. So probably Amoraic then, or post-Amoraic even. I don't know. Osar Midrashim was compiled by some guy in 1915. And he doesn't share a lot about his chronology of all this stuff. So this is the closest thing I was able to find to sort of reference what I think our listener was describing as a very Christian idea of hell, where literally there are like people who are sinners and they are punished in sort of visceral ways Mm -hmm. in the afterlife. But this isn't in the world to come. This is just following death. Well, it's unclear just from this Midrash, what the deal is with that. I think hearing a little more from Rambam will clarify to us what at least some other great minds thought about that. So, for instance, Rambam says in the Mishnah Torah, As for hell, it is what the prophets call figuratively by different names, such as pit of destruction, burning flame, leech, and by every word which means decay and destruction. It is an expression of terminating decay from which there is no regeneration and a loss which remains forever unreturned. Rambam's take on this place is that it is perpetual. There's no coming back from Gehinnom for the Rambam. Okay, okay. But does it happen as soon as you die, or does it happen when you get resurrected in the world to come? Is this just part of the world to come? Right, 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 right. My understanding of the answer to this is that it is in between now and the world to come. Basically, the idea that occurs in a couple different places in Masechet Rosh Hashanah and on a page in Kedushin is that Gehenna or Gehinnom is sort of a purgatory vibe where the wicked go to get suffering until they've atoned for their sins. And some of these sources, including the one in Rosh Hashanah, says that the maximum time a sinner can spend in Gehinom is one year. So we have Talmudic material saying that the time in Gehinom is limited. We're getting into a lot of conflicting ideas about the nature of this place. We also encounter the word in Torah and in Talmud Sheol, which we interpret usually as the grave, which doesn't have all these connotations of burning. Whether that Sheol is the same as Gehinom or different than Gehinom, also a subject of much disagreement between various sources. Rambam mostly seems to be of the opinion that, in my reading, that the torture is 
metaphorical. He says in Mishnah Torah on Teshuvah, chapter 8, Halacha Aleph, the hidden good in store for the righteous is life in the world to come, which is a life connected with no death and a kind of good connected with no evil, such as is described in the Torah. The reward of the just is that they will acquire the sweetness thereof to be in such goodness, and the punishment of the wicked is that they will not share in such life, but will suffer excision and internal death. And whosoever does not earn such a life is to be dead without coming to life forever, for he is severed from his life by his iniquity and goes to oblivion like cattle. This is the meaning of excision described in the Torah by saying, that soul shall be utterly cut off, which is from Numbers 15.31, which is traditionally deducted to mean utterly cut off both in this world and the world to come. So one thing that Rambam is referencing here is this idea of karait, which is a specific kind of punishment that is described in the Torah for various crimes. There are different things that are punishable by karait, and he is interpreting that karait to mean here the utter cutting off of the soul from the possibility of eternal existence. Is this another variant on the Gehenna theme? Are we just adding more and more flavors? My understanding of the possibilities that we have introduced so far. Okay. One, quote, sinners go into the void and they're just in the void forever. Okay. Two, sinners go into the torture fire zone and they're in the torture fire zone forever. Okay. Three, Sinners go into the void, and then at some point later, they come back. Okay. Four, sinners go into the torture fire zone, and then at some point, they get out of the torture fire zone, and question mark. Okay. In, in the last two cases, oh yes. my god. So it's like, okay, <laughs> so okay, okay, but like, when does that happen? Like, when does, when does all this go down? Does this go down during the resurrection, when you die? Assuming everyone gets to go to the world to come at the same time. If, if we're going to take that to be what happens, then all of these sinners need to be resurrected before the righteous people so they can deal with their punishment for a year, and then they all get in. Right. At the same right. time. I just want to add a whole other thing to this, which is back to our chapter, our paragraph from Otsar Midrashim. Rabbi Yochanan says, each individual angel is appointed to exact the punishment of one sin. This one comes and judges him and goes on his way, and so the second one, and so the third one, until all of them they recompense for all the sins that are in his hand. To what is this matter similar? To a debtor who had many creditors, and they brought him before the king, said them to the king, what should I do for you? Go and split his money between yourselves. So at that time, his soul is passed in Gehinnom to cruel angels, and they split it between themselves. Oh. This seems to be like there's sort of like a line of angels who line up in the fire torture zone, and each one of them is responsible for one of your sins, which is in the case of, right, someone like Jeroboam, who we learned about in our Mishnah, caused the multitude to sin. And those sins were put on him, right? That would make that line of cruel angels very long. Okay, okay, wait a minute. But is the angel only assigned to you, or, you know, do they have multiple, uh, <laughs> you know, debtors that they're trying to collect from? I, that is not made clear in this midrash. Okay, either way, we're probably talking about an order of magnitude more angels than, than people. As a baseline. Right, and, and then people who have ever existed. And then people have, who have ever existed. That's a lot of angels. Yes. And we already talked about there's an angel for every blade of grass that's like telling right. it to grow. So we're covered in angels. Yes. Oh my God. Get it together, Jews. What are we doing here? What are we doing? To return to what our listener originally asked us, 
which is basically, what in the Gehinome does any of that mean? What does the Talmud believe about post-death punishment and reward? Mm -hmm. My first answer would be to say, when you say this all seems awfully Christian to you, I don't think you're wrong. I think that Christianity and Judaism, you know, they come from the same primordial ooze and we can sort of see that here and they've become very distinct forces now. And that's important to note, but they do sort of share this DNA, especially in the Tanaitic period where the sort of schisms were not fully formed yet. At that time, someone who we might today call a Christian might've been understood by a Tana to just be like their Jewish neighbor with really weird ideas. So Christians are picking and choosing from the huge self-contradictory pit of Jewish eschatology. Yes, yes. And that pit includes things that are neither Christian nor Jewish, you know, influenced by even more different traditions and societies. You know, all, all of our afterlife ideas are mingling around. Ideas are neither Christian nor Jewish for the most part. Ideas just are out there doing their thing, and the rest of us have uh, our feelings twisted up around their origins. My summarizing answer of the facts to our listener would be, it has been an important Jewish belief for a long time that there will be some kind of resurrection of the dead, into some kind of future world which is paradigmatically different than this one. The nature of that world, the nature of the resurrection, how metaphorical, how literal, the timetable, all of those things uh, exist in contradicting natures in all kinds of Jewish sources. I think the two best things I can leave you with are one, this quote from Mishnah Hagiga, chapter 2, Mishnah 1. Anyone who looks into four things, it would be better off if he had not come into this world. What is above, what is below, what is before, and what is after. By this meaning what is above, below, before, and after this universe. Mm -hmm. That's one thing, and I think it stands to reason, given the snarl of contradictions that we have wandered through in this episode. And the second quote I have is from Abraham Joshua Heschel, who says, We Jews believe in another world, we just take our worlds one at a time. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. What I have to say, you know, listener, is that it's a big mess. And what in the Gehinnom does any of this mean is... Your guess is as good as mine. It means that we've had a lot of ideas over the years. Sometimes some of them have been so ascendant that they were seen as the only truth. Sometimes it's just been a big mess with no agreement. And I'd say right now we're one of the, in one of those times where it's a big mess. And that's a, that's a beautiful time to be living in. Yep. You get to choose how to push that mess around if you want to. I guess. That's right. Choose your own adventure. The things I most like that we can take out of this learning is that when we are acting in a leadership role, we have a higher degree of ethical responsibility, which is something that I believe. And for two, the idea to me that the world to come is not fundamentally different from this universe is important. For me, for my life, it's important to maintain a belief in the possibility of transformation and a better world. A better world is possible, so to speak. It's nice to be backed up on that by Maimonides and by the tradition to some degree. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't use the idea that like a perfect world is not physically possible as an excuse to not do anything politically, you know, as a political actor uh, in society. It's, it's kind of nice. I hope we have been helpful, or if not, I hope we have at least confused you in a helpful way. It was a pleasure to work on this question. Thank you so much for submitting it to us. Thank you to all of our listeners. Next week, we're going to be doing another listener question about the Jewish attitudes towards the figure of the doctor, oh. which I'm very excited to bring you all. That's all I have to say for today. Thanks for hanging out with me in this veil of interminable decay. And Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. <laughs>